It's time for Horrenda's Agenda, Bill's reflections on sports and life. And welcome to an edition of Horrenda's Agenda with a returning guest, the omniscient one on a global <laughs> scale. Who knows no limits? He's forgotten more about hoops than we'll ever know. Coach Fran Fraschilla of ESPN. Fran, thanks for joining us. A pleasure, Bill. Uh, I always enjoy talking to you. You are a true hoop junkie like me, so uh, we have a lot in common. And a, and a lot of anticipation, Coach, uh, particularly for Sacramento Kings fans tonight with Sacramento securing the second pick in the NBA draft next month via the NBA draft lottery. I'd like to start just by asking you how you think this will play out with Phoenix picking number one and the various options that Sacramento may have, but maybe an obvious path. What's your take on what will occur next month? Well, here's the interesting thing. Uh, Sacramento, the Kings are going to have a tougher decision at two than actually the Suns have at one because as much as let's 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 uh, let's set the table. Uh, the new coach of the Phoenix Suns is uh, Igor Igor uh, Koskoskov, uh, and I, I think I said that right. I know Igor fairly well, uh, and of course he came from Utah. He's a longtime NBA assistant, uh, but he also happens to be a guy that coached a Slovenian national team last summer with Goran Dragic. And Luka Doncic, the sensation that is in this draft, now playing in Spain, uh, you know, 19 years old, and, and likely to be one of the three top picks in the draft. So why do I say the, the Kings have a diff, more difficult decision? Uh, the Suns will know everything about Luka Doncic because of Igor, and it's my feeling that when it's all said and done, that DeAndre Ayton is the logical number one pick in this draft at seven feet one former Arizona wildcat. So let's assume he's off the board and now the Kings are at two. They've got this prodigious young European talent who is in my mind, uh, a combination of Gordon Hayward uh, in terms of his athleticism and skill level, but the IQ of a Manu Ginobili. And that's a pretty good combination <laughs> or uh, Marvin Bagley, the, the 6'11 forward from Duke, who I think is going to be a 2010 guy very early in his career. So the Suns seem to have a reasonably easy decision because I think when the, when the, when the day is done, they're going to take the big fella. And now the Kings are going to be staring at this prodigious young international talent versus a kid that we've all watched in college this year uh, and actually dominate because he was a 2010 guy in college in Bagley. So, Coach, it's interesting. It's kind of a steak or lobster argument for Sacramento. And from that standpoint, what additional criteria will NBA people, in this case likely Vlade Divac and his staff, right? Yep. What intangibles will they weigh uh, in this decision-making process, you know, in addition to, you know, the rip and run that you talk about in your two-page yeah. short scouting report yeah. and the playmaking at 6-9 as a small forward. What do you think the other criteria will be that they'll look at in making this decision? Well, I think the first thing, Bill, let's let's forget the intangibles and let's just look at talent. Um, they have to evaluate the talent. They have to evaluate Bag Bagley's unique athleticism 
He plays with a high motor. He's got excellent rebounding instincts. He shot over 40% from three, albeit with a small sample size. But as I analyze Marvin Bagley, his shooting stroke is, is absolutely fine, and I think it's going to translate to the NBA. I believe he'll be able to stretch as a big, and I believe he's going to be able to score inside uh, once he physically matures. I think he's way ahead of, say, somebody like a Willie Cauley-Stein uh, offensively for sure at the same stage. So it's not going to be just intangibles. It's going to be, is he better talent-wise than what you project Luka Doncic to be, who is 6'8", 220, comes into the league as an average NBA athlete. Now, my my friends say, well, he's not a bad athlete. He's a good athlete. No, he is a good athlete compared to the guy walking the street in downtown Sacramento. <laughs> but Doncic compared to the NBA athlete is average at best. Where Doncic has a unique ability is that he has a great mind for the game, excellent passer, tremendous in pick and roll, and um, will make his teammates better by virtue of his ability to play make from the small forward spot. So we can talk intangibles, but we also got to first simply talk like who's the better talent at number two. And it may very well be that they decide it's going to be Doncic because of the whole package of things he brings versus this athletic freak in Bagley who still has to get stronger, still you know, still will be a reasonably young player. They'll both play almost their whole rookie season as 19-year-olds. So there's going to be a lot of, as you said, you know, it's going to be steak or lobster. And, and Coach, what's interesting, too, about Doncic, and of course Mina Kimes has written about him for ESPN and her podcast – with your colleague yep. Adrian Wojnarowski, in which she was a guest, was really fascinating. And the clips of him, of course, uh, are terrific. And I guess, okay, let's talk about talent and skills. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but of course, yep. he shoots 80% from the free throw line, just 31% from three. But of course, that may be a good foundation on which he can build his three-point shot. How would you evaluate from a talent standpoint uh, that potential upside with Doncic, if it is a potential upside, his ability to No, I think it is. It's a good point. It's a good point. It is. It is a potential upside. When I analyze his shooting over the course of the season, and it's it's it started to slide, believe it or not, from 33, 34% down to 31. Here's something you got to keep in mind. And we saw this with, I saw this with Dario Saric, um, who's not the talent Doncic was at the same stage, but similar kind of impact in Europe. Um, Luka Doncic, over the last 20 months, I estimate, Bill, that he's played 140 high-level games against men. So he And he hasn't had a break. He went from a long ACB Spanish League season a year ago as an 18-year-old to, including exhibition games, at least 20 summer games, including nine in the European Championships, which they won. Uh, great performance by him and, and Dragic. And he's up to probably 60 or so games right now. So the fatigue factor is setting in, and that will rectify itself once he's finished this year and gets a summer to catch his breath. In terms of his shooting, it's certainly not broken, but he takes tough shots, contested shots. Um, he takes off-balance shots in part because he has to be the main playmaker for his team. Uh, as a 19-year-old, and I do think the shot is not broken, and he's going to be a very good open NBA shooter. 
Um, so I have no problem with that, and I think that that'll become, I think at some point, a strength of his. The passing, the pick-and-roll IQ, totally off the charts. Sees the entire floor in pick-and-roll, picks out the open man opposite you know, can throw the cross-court pass to the opposite corner. He'll find Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald over there, and he'll make those guys better players. Uh, defensively, in isolation situations, it's going to be a problem, but that's not unlike a lot of young players coming into the league. He's a very good team defender, and he has good toughness, and he also has been a guy at his age that always has a sense of the big moment. Um, I, I think you'd probably feel this way. Uh, Bogdanovich uh, maybe at times athletically would be overmatched in the league this year, but the moment was probably never too big for him. And I think the same thing is true of Doncic, who's played in a lot of high-pressure you know, European basketball already. And, and Fran, this begs the question, if you look at the franchise, Sacramento in the midst of the longest drought in NBA playoff history, 12 years, and complimentary players around him in namely Bogdanovich healed etc how much does yep. that factor into uh the decision as to maybe you lean towards Doncic because you see him in the pick and roll scenarios as a facilitator although this roster has got to change perhaps the Kings have a couple of pieces that they do want to build around and of course you have unique insight into both healed with your coverage of the Big 12 and also Bogdanovich because I know you make this comparison all the time to what type of basketball they're playing overseas which if I'm not mistaken is definitely a higher quality basketball than a lot of the college basketball we've, we see. That's right. And, and I think, and I think it gets back to talent, Bill. I think you gotta, if you're, if you're Vlade and the, and the uh, Sack Kings, you gotta look at the roster and say, can we really pass up a kid in, in Bagley who we think could be a 2010 guy in the league, you know, who's a reasonably good kid. There are no character flaws. You know, he played hard. Um, and the athleticism is definitely above average for an NBA for a young NBA big man. Some versatility involved playing outside in right now, and uh, you know plays with a good motor. Versus the guy who's not the great athlete, but is the great team guy, the great facilitator. You know uh, who could potentially be a Manu Ginobili, who, by the way, I think you'd agree with me, is heading to the Basketball Hall of Fame. So. You know, this is going to be a really tough call. And, and um, as someone who loves the draft, I, I honestly would not be ready right now on May 15th to make that decision. And then let me throw another X factor in here. Um, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, the, the 6'11 power forward from Michigan State, who likely will be the youngest player in the draft. And, uh, you know, doesn't turn 18. I think he turns 19 when he heads to training camp at the end of September. And he's a wild card here because there are some people that think that, you know, someday down the road he could end up being the best player in this draft. I I don't see it just yet, but I am a huge fan of Jaron Jackson Jr. because of his combination of youth and then long-term potential as sort of a unicorn-type big. Shot blocker at the rim, can score inside, can also shoot the three. So um, the Kings have five weeks to vet, you know, this situation, and uh, it's not going to be an easy decision for them.
Coach, I want to ask you a question. I found this fascinating recently listening to Steve Clifford, the erstwhile coach of the Charlotte Hornets, who, of course, is a candidate for a couple of the NBA open head coaching jobs currently. And by the way, a great coach. I mean, it'd, be a, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a shame if Steve Clifford's not coaching a team next year, but uh, because the people around the league know that, uh, you know, in some ways they were ham- hamstrung in Charlotte with some injuries, but. I thought he got the most out of the Hornets over the course of his, you know, run in Charlotte. I completely concur. And, and, and as you can appreciate, I think Ed Norton on the Honeymooners said the life of a coach <laughs> ain't all beer and Skittles. It's a tough business, which we all, we, which we yes. all know, uh, yet we still love it. Uh, so, Coach, how about this? I, I found this very interesting. Uh, Cliff said that when Bob Weiss was on his staff, they were talking about young players. And, of course, you know, we talk a lot about – players not being as prepared as they used to be in the past. But Bob Weiss said, but boy, they're good. Can you reconcile that somewhat contradictory assessment of young players? Because, of course, we're seeing oodles of young players uh, in the playoffs that are making significant impacts in the future of the league is so bright. But uh, but that uh, sounded contradictory to me, and I'm just curious what you think about it. Well, no, I think I think what, I think Bob's exactly right. I think the league's never been better has, has never been in better shape than it is right now. That would be great if some of the teams at the bottom, the, the you know, I think of the Kings, the Suns, the Knicks, the Pistons, if they could make a move, and maybe the, you know, maybe you know, at least in New York, certainly in in Sacramento and Phoenix, those two teams on that are going to have the top three picks, so they they're in good shape. But I I think that what I see from my vantage point is. First of all, let's talk about this, Bill. The character of the top players in the league has never been better. Um, and they're great role models for the young guys coming into the league. When I just look at your franchise and I think of a guy like, uh, you know, Garrett Temple, who's been like an exemplary, exemplary not only role player, but incredible locker room guy. Um, and then I look at young players like De'Aaron Fox and Putty Heel, for example, uh, guys I know well, and, and you look at the kind of character those guys have, I think the league's never been in better shape in that regard. Um, now, when it, t- when it comes to talent, um, each situation is a little bit different. Uh, I, I, I'm one of those guys who, when I talk to my NBA friends, they say, especially with big guys, it takes, to, it takes till they're 23, 24, 25 before they start to hit stride. And, uh, and so that's where I would caution people who want, in, you know, the instant gratification uh, of, a, let's say, a Marvin Bagley, who's going to have trouble guarding big fellas in the league, but yet he's a prodigious talent. So in a lot of cases, because we're taking these guys so young, they come into the league with this great talent. And at, at, in certain, in, in many cases, they struggle early because physically they're not ready to match up with the best players in that league. But, my favorite part about watching the NBA is to see guys come into their own in their mid-20s and you say, boy, I remember that kid in college, and has he become a really solid NBA player? And how about this, Coach? UB Brown's definition of a closer. This may be oversimplistic, but if I, if I have a whiteboard, okay, and maybe this is at least in part 
part of my decision-making process. You know this. I'll repeat it for the benefit of our audience. Can he make the shot? Does he want the shot? Can he make free throws? Can he pass out of a trap? If nothing, can he create for himself? Now, the Kings may feel as though Fox is a kid that can do that. Bogdanovich may be a kid that can do that. Uh, How does the draft board to you match up to Yubi's definition of a closer? Well, it's a good question because, uh, you know, UB has often said, I've heard him say it many times at clinics, that not everybody wants to be a closer in the league. And there's a certain amount of pressure and a certain amount of, uh, you know, you got to have, a, you know, you certainly have to, as our, as our friend Bill Raftery would say, have to have the onions to want to take big shots. And not everybody's cut out for that. I think in Sacramento what you have right now is a situation where although you have you know, uh, I'd say a reasonably good mix of, of young talent that can get better, a couple of veterans who've been around the block a long time, that they certainly could use a young closer. You know, we're watching Jason Tatum right now in the playoffs, and he's becoming, you know, that kind of player certainly. So um, it, they're hard to find, and when you can't find them, you know, and if you're picking number two and you're not comfortable uh, you know, with like who's going to be that kind of player? You just take, in my mind, you take the best player available, and uh, you know maybe Marvin Bagley becomes that, maybe Doncic because of his unique IQ for the game at his age uh, becomes that guy. Um, you know, it remains to be seen. In, in this draft, there's nobody that really comes to mind when I think of a guy. You know, uh, initially saying, "Hey, that guy could be a guy that you could." Uh, you know, build your entire franchise around, unless you're talking about Aiton because of the incredible size and athleticism. Hey, Coach, I'd be remiss not to ask you just about what happens after Sacramento. Just maybe your thoughts on 3, 4, and 5 with Atlanta, Memphis, Dallas. Your your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think think in Atlanta you're looking at, uh, you know, you're going to be staring at the guy. It's going to be somebody – we we thought this draft was a was a you know top three. So obviously, depending on what, the way the first two picks go, Atlanta could be staring at Doncic or Bagley. Um, and then again, Jaron Jackson is in that mix. Mo Bamba, who I watched a lot of Texas, who is much further along defensively than offensively, very similar to a Willie Cauley Stein. Um, I'd like the motor to rev more. Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, uh, you got you got a, a kid like Trey Young, who at times was brilliant last year, and other times, you know, looked like he didn't really understand the time and score games, but yet a terrific talent. So, a guy that I really like, um, that I think has been hidden in plain sight a little bit uh, this past year, believe it or not, Wendell Carter, who was supposed to man the inside for Duke by himself until Marvin Bagley reclassified during the summer and then joined that young Duke team. So I think, uh, you know, Wendell Carter's got a guy that is a guy that's going to be in that mix for the top five. He's kind of like a young Al Horford. Uh, I think the draft goes seven, eight deep, and then you're going to see teams, uh, I don't want to say hold their nose when they pick, but certainly think about trading, uh, certainly think about uh, – you know, there may be somebody that well, we didn't know how good Donovan Mitchell was last year at this time, Bill, when the, when the Jazz traded to the you know the Nuggets on draft night. So um, it's been a great year for rookies in the league. You got to say that, and uh, you know there'll probably be some guys that fall through the cracks into the middle of the first round. 
And of course, Coach, as you know, it's the draft. Yes, it's part of improvement, but the skill development, which you've touched upon, and the trades and free agency that you've uh, touched upon as well, that, uh, you know, in that totality, and I think you're so wise to mention, you know, having the right expectations. Uh, because as talented as deep as the draft is, uh, you know, for those first seven picks or so, uh, I, I think you're very uh, smart and astute to realize that for the bigs, it could take a couple of years for them to develop. And for the guards, we know how tough it is for point guards to, uh, to yes. learn the league and produce. It, does, it just doesn't happen the instant gr- gratification with rare exceptions. <laughs> and the A four mentioned Donald well, Mitchell being one of them. Tatum yeah, and you saw and you saw a guy this year uh, go through his growing pains, and De'Aaron Fox, you know, who uh, you know ended up ended up playing fairly well, but at the same time, every night, you know, Jay Williams, Jay Williams told me this once. Uh, it was really a great point. He said, "Coach, you know, when I got to the Chicago Bulls, Jay Williams at ESPN, obviously not the incredible Jay Williams that played for the Kings, but uh, Jay Williams once told me he said." He, you know, he said, uh, I not only had to one night, one night, Allen Iverson would kick my butt. Next night, I had to turn around and guard Steve Nash. You know, the next night it was Chris Paul as a young player in the league. You know, the next night it was this guy. It wasn't, you know, it, it, he said it never stopped. It never let up. And, uh, you know, that's what the Aaron found this year, uh, playing the most dynamic position in the league right now, the point guard spot, but the Westbrooks and the Willards and the, and the Steph Currys and on down the list. So um, I've said this quite often. You probably heard me say it. The Aaron Fox played double A baseball last year for Kentucky as the equivalent to now joining the Kings and playing in the NBA and moving up to what I would call the major league. So, you know, to go from double A to the majors for any player, you know, I use it as a baseball analogy, not easy. And so, you know, there's a lot of growth left for all these young kids that come into the league and, as, as you know, following this game so well, you, we see it every night. That's why I get back to saying I love when these kids grow up and they're 24, 25, and they figured it out uh, because that's when they really come into their own as good players. And it's like the Mark Twain quote, uh, the inability to forget is infinitely more <laughs> devastating than the inability to remember. So it's always got to be about the next play. And this is Jermaine, Coach 2, to the Kings because – and listen, many teams missed on Donovan Mitchell, uh, C.J. McCollum, yeah. D- Damian Lillard, Kemba Walker, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan. That's a long list. Kawhi Leonard. So, yes. uh, I guess like anything else, whether it's individually, uh, collectively, or as a franchise that's trying to develop uh, a culture, a purpose, values, a foundation. Uh, you know, I think that's very big for Sacramento as well to define kind of like taking a page from Chris Peterson now with uh, Washington in college football. OKG, you know, Forbes profile, our kind of guys. And yes, just like you said, it, it, talent wins. There's no question. It's a, it's a league. Talent is paramount. But uh, maybe we're seeing it with the Celtics with the devastating injuries injuries to Hayward and Irving that they've sustained. But look at where they are. So uh, I, I guess it's like anything else. There's, there's many elements here no. that, 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 yeah, that well, the chef needs. Well, and that, and Bill, that's why, that's why the league is so much fun now because the character of these guys is so high. You know, we, we often say in college, your, your talent better be greater than your problems. 
And you know, you know what I mean. And sure. there's, and you know, you you have a brother that's coached college basketball a long time. You, there's no. You look around this league right now, and unless a guy is an incredible talent um, with a questionable attitude, the high likelihood is teams are going to pass on that kind of guy because they just they just disrupt your whole organization, and that's what. Uh, you know that's you know that's what um, that's why I was I was so excited when uh, when Bogdanovich came to the Kings. You and I talked about him last summer because you know there, you won't find a, a, a you know a tougher competitor, but a nicer kid. You know, I, I spent four years watching Buddy Heald grow up in college. He's been over the house a lot, you know, because my son was his teammate. And you won't find better people than those guys. You know, De'Aaron Fox with that great smile. So. You know that's a that's a big thing. Uh, talent obviously rules the day in the league, but you know a lot of these franchises are being built with really quality people as well. Yeah, and, and the stakes back on the floor, coach too. Like Steve Clifford says, if you are not listen, if you can't guard your position, you've got to be a twenty-five, twenty-six point per guy night. So there's even that type of uh, <laughs> grounding on you that you've got to produce a two-way player. And you know what? It, it, with me, it's like the late Peter Drucker, the management guru. He said, listen, if you hire yes. stupid people, pray they have a low energy level. So I, I, I'm not the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer, and I got a lot of energy. Very dangerous combination. Yeah. No, I get it completely. I, I get it completely. And, uh, you know, last night was a good example. I mean, you know, James Harden is an amazing talent, but uh, he got 41 last night and, and didn't really guard his position. And, uh, you know, he, they switch a lot and they put him in some tough spots. But uh, it and not to knock James because he's an MVP candidate and an incredible player, but, you know, he's going to have to get 30 and 40 a night because he's not going to be the guy that defends his position like you would want him to. And uh, again, not to take anything away from the incredible offensive talent, but that's just how it is. And you have to, you know, if you're coaching him, you adjust. And and, and certainly they've adjusted quite well in, in Houston this year because they are a good defensive team overall. And I have to ask you that about the Warriors and their uh, – I've always said that their defense – is the stake. The offense is the sizzle that gets all the pub, but their defense, which they seem to have found, and of course it's easier to uh, rekindle it than maybe to ignite it, and of course they've been there, and their defense has been stellar. And uh, what's your take on just Golden State overall, Coach? Yeah. Well, I, I've studied, I, you know, I've spent the spring studying, uh, get, getting into the X and O's and the playbook again, and, and studying. A lot of a lot of NBA defense, and the thing that's quite apparent, and it's you're seeing it with the final four teams in this in this NBA playoffs, is the amount of uh, versatility and switching, and that's particularly true with the Warriors. And you have to, uh, with the way the league has gone smaller, quicker, more versatile, positionless, however you want to call it, um, you know what makes them so good is that they can they can switch at. Uh, at times, all five positions, and it's really forced offenses to have to adjust to that. And uh, you have to work on a switching offense and create where you can mismatches. But it's not easy with the Warriors when you have a guy like, you know, Draymond Green that can essentially guard from the two to the five spot. And we know Iguodala can guard multiple positions, and Clay Thompson. I always felt was a much better defender than people gave him credit for. People in the league know, but uh, that's what makes them uh, very good on the defensive end. But 
Last night, I thought it was absolutely breathtaking watching them on the offensive end, Bill. They, um, they're, they're a complete video game, and if, if Houston's going to miss those easy layups they had chances to score on and some of the easy putbacks, um, they, they're in for a very long series because there's no margin for error when you play the Warriors. Yeah, it really isn't, Coach. You're right. The full 94 feet, 18-3 fast break points advantage, the 50 feet wide that they straight, the ball movement, people moving, probably reminds uh, us of, of the Knicks back in the day with uh, Clyde and Willis and Earl yeah. and, and yeah. Pusher and Bradley. And that <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, now, hey, listen, be- before I go, i got to do one you before you. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I just want to tell you now. Now, come on. Now you now you love the you love the Bogdanovich kid. Okay, now you love this kid because you know he's going to shoot at a high rate behind the arc. Okay, now every coach in the league would love this guy because you know he's going to get you fourteen and five every night. Okay, come on now. Now we all know this. Coach, I love it. I can think of no better crescendo uh, to end or exclamation point to end this conversation. But, Coach, uh, of course, Fran Fraschilla, you follow him on Twitter at Fran Fraschilla. And, Coach, I have to say the two things I enjoyed most about the game, the continual learning. And every time I watch, listen to you, I always come away smarter learning. And also, it's the learning and the people you meet along the way. What a class act you are. And everyone knows that. I just want to thank you for uh, joining us. And, of course, we always reserve the right uh, to, to chat later on as uh, the ball keeps bouncing through, uh, through no, the into the summer. I appreciate it. Let me, let me give you a little secret, Bill. And I think you notice um, for following me on Twitter. I learned something new about basketball every single week. And that's the fun part about this game. We've we're guys like us. You never stop learning. You see new stuff. You know, you tweet about it. You talk about it with coaches. You talk about it on your radio show. That's what I love about the game is I've been around this game since I was 13. And uh, I learned something every single week, which makes it fun. There you go. That's Fran Frischola, the ESPN analyst, uh, draft expert, and global hoops icon. Coach, thanks as always for joining us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Bill. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill Horenda and catch him daily on the KFBK Morning News. Cold-blooded, cold-blooded, I'm telling you the truth. Let me stop here at this gas station.